Hello and welcome. I am J.R. Everhart from Restoration Ministries. I am your host here at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Today we dig into the depths of what uh, life is all about. We're going to ask the, the hard questions, the deep questions of what is our objective in this world? What is our objective in life? Why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? Does anything really even mean anything? Especially in today's chaotic, confusing world. Well, stick around. It's going to be a wild ride today, guys. Buckle up your seatbelts. I'll be back in 60 seconds. I want to talk to you guys for a second about my company, COP Audio. COP Audio is your one-stop source for mobile audio and lighting, as well as a host of other services. Uh, We can handle everything from large outdoor concerts to small club-type shows or even DJing your wedding or company picnic. Uh, We also work with local and regional government for public address events and summer community concert series-type stuff. We also do event planning and band booking, as well as audio install work at your local church or high school. You'll find tons of information online about us on both Instagram and Facebook. When you go to our Facebook page, make sure that you read our reviews from our clients. You can also find us uh, by just calling me or texting us, uh, 304-676-8811, 304-676-8811. You can also email me at um, jr.coplaudio at gmail.com. That's jr.coplaudio at gmail.com. CLP Audio has a long success record with dozens of bands, churches, and event venues all around the Mid-Atlantic. Again, find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching CLP Audio or call 304-676-8811. That's 304-676-8811. All right, and welcome back. Um, Today, we are going to... I've kind of been like in this mode where... I have been in some like pretty hardcore deep prayer and uh, just really honestly, as much as I'd like to sound like some holy super Christian, it really hasn't even been like super deep prayer. It's been like just my normal prayer life, but God has been just really tugging at my spirit about some things that he is working out in me and I'm very excited about those things because I think I'm slowly starting to get a clear picture of what he's trying to say and where I'm going Um, and he's healing me of some things that have kind of been getting in the way of that and he's you know uh, restoring me through his grace and mercy I, I can't stop talking about how great God is and just how wonderful he is and how genuinely concerned he is about all of the things that are kind of, you know, jacking us up and getting in the way of our happiness and our freedom. Um, and through my season of suffering in the last year, he, I think I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now. You know what I'm saying? I think I am getting where I need to go. And I think God is growing me in the way that he intended me to grow. Um, and maybe, just maybe, the light is coming on. Today's message is is part of that. Today's message is part of that revelation and part of the things that he's kind of been pulling and tugging inside of me and working out in, in my own life. 
Um, and he's uh, kind of been working on this podcast for a week or two, you know. Um, man, it's just it's just super super cool stuff. So let's just dive in. Um, today we're gonna be we're gonna start out in Ecclesiastes. We're gonna kind of jump around to First John, and then you're gonna get a whole bunch of my own personal commentary about that stuff. Um, but I think I need to preface Ecclesiastes with just who Solomon is. Solomon was the author of Ecclesiastes. If you don't know who Solomon is, because I never assume that people who listen to this podcast are like, you know, hardcore super Christian Bible studying Christians. Uh, Solomon was a king of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, his big claim to fame was he, he, he had asked for wisdom and God had given him wisdom and he was the wisest man to ever walk the, uh, ever walk the planet. Uh, Solomon lived a life of extremes. I mean, and I mean like super hardcore extremes. Um, he was extremely wealthy. He lived out every pleasure this world had to offer in its like 10th degree, um, you know, the Bible says he had like 400 wives and 500 concubines, you know, so he was having a whole bunch of, you know, uh, physical intimacy, we'll say, you know, uh, with a whole bunch of, of women. It, it says in one, one place in the Old Testament that they had to slaughter 95 cattle a day to feed the parties that he was throwing uh, because, uh, you know, this dude wasn't throwing like, you know, a weekend bash. He would throw celebrations that would last weeks, you know. Um, so I mean, he he knew how to have a good time. Let's just you know surrender to that idea that uh, Solomon definitely knew how to have a good time. And people came from all corners of the globe to come and talk to him and get counsel from him. And you know, I highly suggest that you you Google Solomon and uh, just kind of get in the Bible and jump around and and see some of the things that. He did. Uh, he was tested in many ways. His wisdom was tested um, with, you know, people trying to, you know, trick him. And he was just way smarter than they were uh, in, in the scenarios that brought before him, asking him to be a, a rightful, godly judge in some situations. Um, so, I mean, Solomon knew something about life. You know, um, I can really identify with a lot of Solomon's struggles. And a lot of his, um, a lot of his just gut level common sense, blue collar level common sense, you know, stuff. You read Proverbs was, uh, uh, you know, Solomon's big claim to fame in, in the Old Testament, uh, and it's basically a book that a, a five year old can understand. It basically says if you do this bad thing, then this bad thing's probably going to happen to you. But if you do this good thing, then this good thing is probably going to happen to you. It's very, you know, gut level blue collar wisdom that's easy to understand. And I'm kind of that that guy. You know, I'm kind of I like things spoon fed to me that way um, because I am not Solomon and I am not the, <laughs> the wisest guy in my neighborhood, much less you know the planet like he was. But he wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, which was, you know, I've heard a bunch of different scholars approach the book from a bunch of different ways. I've read the book hundreds of times. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, it comes off to me, and I've, I've heard a bunch of scholars refer refer to it in this, this text, is that he was kind of being cynical 
you know, in some of the stuff that he says in Ecclesiastes, but at the same time, he's laying out some some real truth that I think that we can really, really relate to um, in our times here today. So I'm going to shut up and just read some Bible to you here. This is from uh, the first chapter of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the book only has it only has twelve chapters, and they're short chapters. So, I mean, if you want to get into the Bible and read something in the Old Testament that'll make you scratch your head and kind of put some things in perspective for you, because I think a lot of the stuff he says in Ecclesiastes is very much relatable to, you know, today. Uh, And, you know, that kind of goes along with some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, because he says there really is nothing new in the world. Everything's just kind of repeated. So Ecclesiastes 1, we're going to start at verse 3. Uh, What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. Uh, The wind blows south and then turns north. Uh, Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. Uh, No matter how much you see, we will never be satisfied. No matter how much we see, we will never be satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we will not be content. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, by the way, if you're wondering. Um... Verse 9, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new, but actually it is old. Nothing is ever truly new. Uh, We just don't remember what happened in the past. And in the future generations, no one will remember what we're doing now. Um. I don't know about you, but that really resonates with me some days. Some days I'm just kind of like, what is what is this whole deal even about? Like, what are we doing here? What is, you know, and, and, and you know, Solomon's kind of, you know, he's having that moment. He's having that, you know, uh, soapbox moment where he's like, look, dude, here's my, it's like what we would know today is kind of like a Facebook rant. You know, like I'm going to go on a rant and I'm going to share some, some deep truth with you guys, but hear my frustration in all this, you know. Um, some of the things that I, in this first section of this, and and I could easily go through Ecclesiastes and give you the synopsis of Ecclesiastes and, and really bless you, but that's a whole nother podcast. And if I don't forget, I'll come back to that and I'll do a whole podcast just on Ecclesiastes. That would be a hoot. Um, but the thing I want to point out here is how he says a river's run into the sea, but the sea is never full. You know, and then in verse 8, he says, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. I think that's some real hardcore truth about who we are even today as a society. You know, I, I just was telling a friend of mine last night, you know, a fellow believer, buddy of mine, and we were kind of just discussing, you know, the state of the world and, you know, that sort of stuff and everything, because um, I know that's weighing heavy on everybody's mind right now. Uh, with the pandemic and the vaccines and the government and, you know, all that crazy stuff. Yeah, none of that stuff is new, man. And this is what I was telling my buddy last night. None of this is new, guys. The cycle we're going through right now has been repeated countless times in the past. Let me, let me lay that cycle out for you. 
some godly people come together and want to start something new. They want to start a society that has religious freedom and wants to create a place where we can love each other and just be free to serve God without an oppressive government up our rear end. Well, that happens, you know, and then, and it, it, really, if you want to take it to the next level, you could even go outside of the Christian conversation and see how this has happened. Many, the Roman Empire is a great example of this. They, they rise up with all this good intentions and all these, you know, things in place. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, corrupt power behind those good intentions. But what happens is mankind, when they get to to the peak of their prosperity and the peak the peak of their power, always tries to turn that society into Babylon. And if you go into the Old Testament, or you even just go into um, archaeological you know studies about Babylon, you'll discover that Babylon was a very evil, corrupt city. Um, it was every major non-Christian religion can be traced back to Babylon. Let me just put that on the table. Uh, in Babylon, they would have temple prostitutes, which meant that if you wanted blessing, blessings on your crops, because let's face it, most people were farmers in those days. If you wanted blessings on your crops or on your business, you went to the temple, you had sex with a temple prostitute. You know, that was the type of religion that was in place. It was probably closer to what we would know as pagan Wiccan kind of thing these days. Uh, but even that doesn't really put a nail in, in the, in the, uh, you know, in the board there exactly and pinpoint it. Um, but there's all kinds of other nasty business going on. There were sex, uh, which I mean, sections of the Babylonian belief system where child sacrifice was a part of that, you know, worship of the devil, worship of nature, worship of, you know, the wind, the sun, you know, all of Greek mythology, you know, um, all that stuff came from Babylon, you know. Um, so Babylon was the city of extremes. Like um, you go throughout, even in Bible days, Corinthian, the Corinthians lived, you know, in that same kind of Babylonian ideal, you know, the city of Corinth. Uh, it, it was known throughout the Roman government or the Roman uh, army that a young man could not afford a night in Corinth because it was so polluted with prostitutes and, you know, uh, sexual immorality and, you know, things like that. It was just a horrible port city where a lot of nasty junk happened. Um, and the murder rate was incredible in, in all these scenarios we're talking about. But you get a people who come together, they try to do something, you know, decent, or they try to, you know, we'll take America, for example, you know, that based on, founded on religious freedoms and, you know, things like that. And I'm not trying to get into a big American history lesson here, because I know it's a lot deeper than that. But the idea was we were going to create a government that was going to support the people and be for the people. And what we've done is basically turned our country into the new Babylon. We are a country of extremes. You know, we see pornography, not just in the United States, but all around the world, you know, is, in, you know, I don't even know, a $100 billion business a year or some crazy stuff like that. And none of it has satisfied us. You know, that's getting back to what Solomon's saying here. None of the stuff is new. This has been going on for centuries 
generations after generations after generations. And he's like, you think you came up with something new? No, really, you didn't. You just don't remember when this was done before 100 years ago or 500 years ago. You know, there really is nothing new. No one's bringing anything new to the table. Now, I will admit, and I think you know, it's fair in saying that technology has lubricated that process and has made you know sin much more accessible now than what it's ever been. But it's also made truth much more accessible than it's ever been. So, it's really about you know how you how you want to look at that. But when he talks about this river flowing into the sea and the sea is never full. Like, I never even thought about that until I read Ecclesiastes for the first time. I'm like, that makes perfect sense. You turn your faucet on and plug up your sink, it's going to get full and it's going to run over the counter or onto the kitchen floor and out the back door and down the street. But the rivers run into the sea constantly and the sea is never full. I think that's just some symbolism that he's bringing to the table about how we consume and we consume and we consume and we're never full. We're never satisfied. So when we go over to 1 John 2.16, uh, I'm going to give you the New King James Version first. Uh, John is talking about the three things that the enemy uses to jack us up most. And it says, for, um, for all this in the world, the lust of our flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is not from the Father. Uh, but it is of the world. Anytime the Bible talks about something being of the world, it's under the assumption that the world is run by the enemy. Um, it's the non-Christian, evil, you know, backbiting, you know, corrupt political nonsense that we see every day on our TVs. The New, um, New Living Translation says, uh, the, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see. Now that goes back to what Solomon was saying about we see all this stuff and we never can see enough. We never get enough. Uh, through that craving of everything we see is covetousness. You know, where we're coveting our neighbor, their wife or their house or their car or their job, their money, their boat, you know, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of evil that has come from that. Uh, and the pride in our achievements and possessions these are not from the Father, but are from the world. So you're kind of asking yourself, you know, all right, JR, what are you getting at? You know, now I'm like totally depressed and feel like I have no purpose in life because nothing really means anything. Everything is meaningless. Even the Bible's saying everything is meaningless. And, you know, Solomon goes on in Ecclesiastes that, you know, the next part is he's talking about, you know, wisdom. And here's a great line I use all the time in counseling is, with great wisdom comes great suffering. You know, the increase of knowledge only increases sorrow. Because the more you understand how blind the world is, the more you understand that we live in a world that is dying and is full of decay, the more it brings you sorrow for understanding those things. Um, he talks about pleasure not meaning anything. Uh, he lays out how there's a time for everything. He tells us that um, that two are better than one. That we we need connection, you know that sort of thing. Uh, he even say, goes as far as to say if you can get three bound together, then you know you're really strong then because 
You know, one person, if he's attacked, can be overcome. Two people can stand back to back and win a battle. But when you bring a third person in, boy, you're really a force to be reckoned with at that point. And that just reinforces what you hear me say all the time about the importance of connection. we got to stay connected. Um, he talks about uh, how frugal political power is and how we need to approach God with care, uh, how wealth means nothing. You know, all that stuff is pointing to my next you know, my next uh, line point here, which is what is the objective of life? What is, let's start with what is the objective of your life? Let's start there. Because what is your objective in this world? Is it to, you know, lay drunk all the time and be somebody who's constantly pursuing excitement, who's constantly pursuing the party? Or are you trying to be something positive in the world? Are you trying to, you know, help your fellow man? Are you volunteering your time to invest in your community? Are you doing things that are making your little world a better place? Um, and that's a question that, that we, can under, we can understand and that we can, you know, we can uh, you know, decipher on our own. That we don't need some great wisdom from God to answer that question. We just need to look at our lives and see where we invest our time. Because where you invest your time is where your heart is. Now, I know we all got to get up, you know, and go to work and make a living. I get all that. Totally get all that. But in your free time, is it a constant pursuit of pleasure? Or are you trying to make your little piece of the world better? Because, you know, and I say this all the time. I was just talking about this today in uh, a Samson Society meeting online. I said, you know, I want that little dash between my birth date and my death date on my tombstone. I want that little dash to mean something. That's the time that I have here on earth. And when people are standing around at my funeral... I don't want them talking about, you know, how much I could drink, you know, more than everybody else in the bar or, you know, how I had the biggest house in the neighborhood or I owned two beach houses or I was wealthy you know, beyond belief, which did me absolutely no good, you know, as far as trying to escape death because no one's escaping death. And Solomon goes into a bunch of that stuff, too. Um, I want people to be able to say that I was someone who helped people that I was truly a compassionate person and someone who was focused on trying to make my part of the world a better place. And you know what, guys? That doesn't happen naturally to us because what comes natural to us is to just get fat and lazy. And I'm as guilty of it as the next guy, you know? Um, so you get no judgment from me. But look around. That's kind of our society, is that everybody's just trying to get what's theirs or, you know, lay their hands on as much money as they can lay their hands on and pay off all their bills so they can never have a worry. Well, you know, the, the reality of all that is, is, yeah, there's an enormous amount of satisfaction and freedom in being financially secure. I'm not harping on people who are wealthy. I think if you're wealthy, that's great. If you've worked hard and you've, you know, uh, obtained that wealth in an honest manner, you deserve to be wealthy. I got no problem with wealthy people, but I got no problem with poor people either. 
I got no problem with the people who struggle and you know didn't have the opportunities that others had. Uh, I know we live in a land of opportunity, and that could be a flimsy excuse in some in some respects. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who are unpacking abuse issues, didn't have supportive families, and were told their whole life that they couldn't do or be anybody. That's a real hard thing to overcome. And that's a real hard thing. I was just listening to a podcast the other day where a guy was talking about the realities of growing up in the, in the inner city. You know, and you're not going to sit here and tell me that those guys have the same opportunities as, as some, you know, urban white kid who had supportive parents that loved him and, and mom and dad both lived in the house his whole childhood and he never wanted for anything. You know, that guy... And you don't have to believe me. You can go look at all the research because there's a ton of it. Uh, if you get into the social studies of that kind of stuff, that guy in the suburban neighborhood has like a 50 times better chance of being successful, getting a college education and all that kind of stuff. And the guy in the inner city can do that. I'm not saying he can't because he absolutely can, but he's going to have to work a hundred times harder than the guy out in the urban community or in the, uh, uh, the residential area where everything's all nice and prim and proper and you get a nice bow on everything, and people aren't trying to shoot you and kill you while you're walking back and forth to school every day. You know, that stuff is part of the equation, guys. But, you know, trying to be somebody that God's glory can shine through does not come naturally. That is not something you just wake up every day and say, boy, what can I do to be, you know, the best Christian I can be. I say that a lot of days and fail miserably right in the face of it. Just fall right on my face. Say a bunch of junk that was dumb and completely out of character for me. And I look back on those conversations and I'm like, what was I even talking about? I know I'm not the only guy that does that. I know you guys listening can totally relate to that or at least know someone who kind of does that. Yeah, I'm the guy that puts his foot in his mouth sometimes, you know? I mean, it just kind of is what it is. I'm fallible. My intentions are pure. I'm trying to be the best Christian I can be, but I'm still living in this body that is a mainly, mostly controlled by my fallen nature. I mean, every day I get up and I go to war with that dude, and I'm trying to put him in subjection, and I'm trying to be the best I can be. But you know what? I get mad, and I get angry, and I say things I don't mean and do things that I regret, just like everybody else. I got a whole track record of that junk, a whole battlefield with dead bodies laying on it of people that I have done wrong in my past. Not because I woke up one day and said, hey, I'm going to jack somebody's groove today, but because that's life. That's life. That's why it's so important that we stay close to God. That's why it's so important that we're podcasting sermons and we're, you know, going through Christian books and we're trying to stay in contact with, with other believers and we're trying to stay connected with a support system that can help us be the best we can be. The key, because even with all that stuff in place, it's still going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. I'll say it again. Even with all that stuff in place, and I could just rattle off a bunch of guys off the top of my head that I've been working with for years that are still trying to get it right. Their hearts are in the right place, but they're just like me. We're all fallible. We all have total potential to be a complete doofus. 
So we have to dig in. We have to ask ourselves these hard questions. What is my objective in life? What am I dedicating my spare time to? Look, there's nothing wrong with going on a vacation or, you know, having the guys over for football and a barbecue and all Man, that's all great and fine, man. I'm not trying to teach against any of that stuff. Ecclesiastes says that that's one of the things that is the only remaining thing on this planet we can find enjoyment in. But at some point, we got to be a people whose God's glory can shine through. We've got to be a people that God can use. And when I look inside the church, oh, I, I, 90% of the people I see going to church are just barely hanging on, man. I mean, barely hanging on. It's like we've went from becoming Christians who look, wake up and pray to God every day, Lord, I want to be the best I can be so that I can try to win souls for you. So I can be somebody your glory can shine through. So when people look at my life, they see some mess because life is clumsy, but they also see you. They see my reactions to my screw-ups. They see me making the, the amends. They see me you know, apologizing. They see me trying to right wrongs. But I see these people, and they're barely hanging on. They've went from that to saying, what is the bare minimum I can do and still get into heaven? I can't even begin to tell you the people that I know that are living that life. What is the bare minimum I can do and still get into heaven and still kind of dictate my own life and do whatever I want to do and, 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 and be the person that all of mankind became after we ate the forbidden fruit? Because look, guys, that was the sin of the garden. It had nothing to do with the physical fruit. It had to do with the fact that the, that the serpent talked Adam and Eve into choosing pride over trust. Their pride told them, he stroked their pride that, hey, you can be like God. Hey, you have the ability to possess this knowledge of good and evil and dictate what is good and evil. Look around us, people. Right now, the whole cancel culture is built on a bunch of people who are saying they are the only authority to what is good and evil. And if you question that, well, then you're canceled. Man, that stuff goes right back to the Garden of Eden. That was the sin of eating the fruit. Was Adam and Eve was, was looking at God and saying, you know what, I don't trust you to dictate what is good and evil. I'm going to eat this fruit, gain the knowledge of good and evil, and then I'm going to dictate what is good and evil. It was a total pride thing. That same thing is playing out in front of us each and every day. And that's what's behind this get into heaven by the skin of our teeth kind of mentality. And I'll warn you, man, and I'm, I'm you know, you know, guys, look, y'all know me, man. You know I'm not the guy that's all hellfire and brimstone. But you can't ignore the scriptures that say that if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. you got to be sold out. Yeah, there could be junk in your life because we're all trying to work junk out of our life. It ain't about being perfect. It ain't about a legalistic viewpoint of God. It's about understanding that he's enough no matter what kind of junk you get yourself into. And getting your, your heart focused on Christ and your motives focused on holiness. Those are the things that define you. Those are the things that, that make you 
validated biblically. Not perfection. It's our desires to be as much like Christ as we can be to the best of our ability, to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow Christ. That's what it's about. That's Christianity in a nutshell. And you get churches full of people who, you know, there's good people there, don't get me wrong. I have yet to go to a church, any church, even the most offensive, jacked-up churches that I have had the displeasure of having to deal with many times in a working scenario, I've never been in a church where there wasn't a remnant of people there who truly, genuinely loved Christ and trying to do the right thing. But the problem is they're always the minority. The majority of the congregation wants their ears tickled. They want to be told that God's okay with their lifestyle no matter what it is. And the pastor's being held prisoner by that congregation and his board of directors because they won't allow him to speak the truth. Now, I know that's not every church. But we're seeing enough of it in the modern church that it's creating some real messed up stuff. And a lot of the world is looking at at that stuff. They're not idiots. They see that. They're like, well, I don't want to be part of that junk. I don't want to be part of a church where a guy preaches about Jesus who was homeless his whole ministry, gave his life to save the world, but yet you're sitting in an $8 million mansion and there's homeless people three miles down the road that are starving to death? Come on, man. Non-Christian people are not dumb. They're not, they're not buying that junk. we got to get in a place where we can get genuinely real with the gospel. And it takes people who are going to be brave enough to dedicate enough of their life to actually studying the Word, getting in the Bible and reading it every day, you know, listening to podcasts. Because, I mean, podcast is like the modern-day revival, man. It is so awesome just to be able to put your earbuds in or connect it to your car stereo while you're driving down the road. I spend a lot of time on the road, so I do a lot of podcasting. And there's wonderful guys out there that you can listen to that will teach you the Bible in a way that you can understand it. That's their whole career is to teach you the Bible in a way that you can understand it. We have all that at our fingertips. When the day comes that we have to stand before God, we're going to have no excuses why we didn't dig in. None. No excuses, guys. The apostles did it under the you know, tyranny of the Roman Empire. Literally gave their lives for this message. Literally. And we're a people who can barely pick up the Bible. You know, We're so polluted with you know, all the the lies of the enemy about Christianity being some kind of, you know, hateful thing because, you know, we hate gays and we hate, you know, like whatever, man, shut up. You know, that's just not even... The Christians that I know and the group of guys that, that, that I have the pleasure of walking out my faith with are all guys who have nothing but love and compassion for anyone who's struggling with anything. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to counsel each other. We're supposed to help each other, all pointing toward the cross of Calvary, all pointing to salvation through Christ, all pointing to 
restoration and healing. Why? So they can get in a position where they can go out into the highways and byways and they can share that message with the people they've taken the time to build bridges into their lives. That's how this works. This isn't about shoving a message down someone's throat that doesn't want to hear it. It's, it's about sharing your life experiences. We've overcome the world. In Revelation, it says we've overcome the world by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Every time you hear the apostles teach in the New Testament, their personal message, their personal walk, their personal testimony is always part of that message. Always. Whether it's Paul talking about having been beaten many times, you know, for the sake of the gospel, or, you know, Peter and John talking about, look, we were there, dude. We've seen this. We've seen the miracles. We've seen him spit in, the, in dirt, turned into mud, rub it into a blind guy's eyes. We're all like, this guy is out of his friggin' mind. There's no way this is going to work. And now the dude can see. We were there when the leprosy cleared up on the guy's arms. We've seen Lazarus come out of the grave. Their ministries were built on first-hand eyewitness accounts of what Christ did while he was here. They seen the guy resurrected from the grave, hung out with him. Thomas even put his fingers in his wounds because he doubted that he was really him. Your testimony is just as powerful. When we stand and we talk about how God delivered us from our mess, you know, and for some of us, it's it's crazy, you know, crazy, crazy, insanity, toxic, dysfunction, mess. For other people, it's much, much more subtle. God brings people across your path for a reason. He knows who to send who to. He knows if you're someone who comes from a dysfunctional family with crazy abuse stuff in your past, he's going to send people like that across your path. Look around at your friends, guys. Take an inventory of the people that run around with you. They're not there by accident. They're there because God's trying to pull purpose out of your situation. He's trying to use your story, the things he's done in your life, to minister to them. Just like the... You know, the guy that's struggling with anger or struggling with greed or, you know, can't get over, you know, the fact that he doesn't really believe anyone cares about him. Those are more subtle things, but they're just as important to that guy as what this guy's sexual abuse as a child is. There is no big and little sin in God's eyes. It's all stench in his nostrils and Christ. Christ's sacrifice on the cross covered it all. The reason why we're here is to have fellowship with our Creator and to spread His love and His mercy to anyone that God brings into our life. I'm a firm believer we have to earn the right to speak to others. That means build a relationship with Him. You know, the days of standing on a street corner with a bullhorn and trying to shove the gospel down people's throats are over. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. And statistically, six out of every ten people who are converted that way, it doesn't stick. They don't stay around. But then when you turn that, that situation around and you take time to invest in someone's life, 
You become their friend. You go through some hell with them. It's like eight out of every ten of those people who come to Christ stay. And they stay a lifetime and they become people who share that, that truth and that love and mercy with someone else. That's the purpose of life, guys. That's the whole reason why this whole thing is here. For us to have fellowship with God and for us to help each other. Look, the enemy got in the mix here, okay? We got a little little yeast in the dough and it's it's blowing up and turning into bread. You know? The wheat and the tares are living together as we speak. These are all biblical references basically saying that good and bad people are living together in this world right now as we speak. We have to find a way to navigate through that and still let God's glory shine through us. Some days we're walking on water. Other days we're drowning in the water looking for Christ's hand to reach down and and save us. He's our Savior for a reason. And we can't be overcomers in Christ until there's something to overcome. And that's what this whole thing is about. All this junk that we put so much emphasis on, it's meaningless. That's what Solomon's getting at. It's all meaningless. We are stressing out over stuff that brings no value to our lives. We worry about people who don't give a rip about us anyways. We worry about their opinions in our life. We're worried about how other people think of us or, you know, we we get so wrapped up in how people view us and, you know, I don't want anyone to see me bad or, you know, I want to make sure that I'm making everybody happy. And most of them people don't even like you anyways. No matter what you do, they're going to talk smack about you. Why are you wasting your time with that? Or you're spending your whole life chasing the dollar, trying to put more stuff in your garage that you don't even have time to, to, to play with or to go out and enjoy because you're so in debt, you got to work seven days a week to pay for all of it. So if you're lucky, you get a week a year to be able to go out and, you know, actually enjoy that boat or that Harley or that hot rod or whatever, your RV. We put so much emphasis on this stuff. We stress ourselves out. We are medicating ourselves to death trying to get rid of the guilt and shame that has come along with our sinful ways. Christ is the only true prescription that's going to satisfy the soul. Solomon spends 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes covering just about everything that we can enjoy in this world. And he comes to this conclusion. The only happiness to be found in this world, the only true joy is our delight in the Lord, our connection with our friends, and the satisfaction of our work, our toil, is what it says in the Old Testament, which is basically the things that we enjoy doing in our career. And if you're stuck in a dead-end career that you're not happy about, well, you need to rethink that too. You need to find a way to start digging your way out of that and get yourself in a position where you can take pride in what it is that you do every day. Guys, that's this week's message. I hope it blessed you, and I hope that you you, you got something out of this and you kind of see my heart in all this because I'm going through this exact same thing in my own life. I recently was in a situation where I felt God just showed me how, how meaningless all this stuff I stress over is in my life and how I want my life to mean more than just 
you know, accomplishing a beautiful home and, you know, financial security and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want my life to mean more than that. I don't want people just to remember JR as, as a music guy, you know, who was, you know, ran CLP audio and played the drums and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't want to be remembered for just that. I want people to see Christ in me. I want them to be able to stand at my funeral and say, you know what? That dude lived a crazy life. And he had some rough years. He really did. But you know what? He was so in love with God, he never gave up on believing God was good, even in the face of the abuse he suffered, even in the face of his own failures, even in the face of all the enemy's attacks. He never lost faith. The saddest part about Solomon's story is he disobeyed God and he took wives. Solomon was a sex addict. He took wives from foreign lands, from Babylonian religions, and at the end of his life, it says that he was building temples for idol gods for these women. And it says the only reason God didn't judge him was because of his father, David. David and God were very, very close. And David was a man after God's own heart. And God showed mercy towards Solomon because of David. If God can show mercy in the Old Testament before Christ ever came, before there was ever a blood covenant for our sins on the cross of Calvary, if God can show mercy on a man like Solomon who really missed it, then how much more mercy can he show us with the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. If you have found value in this podcast or if it has blessed you in any way, can I ask a couple things from you real quick? Please rate and review this podcast on whatever format you listen to it on, especially if you use Google or Apple Podcasting app. Also, could I ask you to please donate to this ministry? Uh, we need your financial support. We are not sponsored by any church or religious denomination, nor do we have any corporate sponsors. Uh, we are totally independent and dependent on our listeners to make this ministry resource possible. Please consider giving to this ministry. I'll be sure to post links and information on how to give in the description of this podcast. And finally, and most importantly, we need your prayers for guidance and protection from the people who look to silence voices like ours. Pray for God's favor in the eyes of our enemies and grace in our hearts toward them. Pray that God uses this podcast to speak into the lives of those struggling with addiction and ministers to the hearts of the hurting. We need your prayers covering this ministry so we can be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. 
A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my God.